Okay, good morning ladies. We're going to get started here because we've got a lot to uh, cover. So we'll dive right in. I'm just going to start, I'm going to open in prayer because my nerves need it. <laughs> Father God, grant me to speak now in accord with your scripture and under your authority. I pray, O oh Lord God, that this would not be my words or thoughts, but that I would present your truth and the beauty and glory that's within it. God, give us ears and hearts that are ready to receive your word with all meekness and just prepare us, God, as we begin this season now where we're looking to Emmanuel, you with us, I pray you would prepare our hearts, God, and that you would allow us to make room to welcome the King of Kings. Be with us now, O Lord, as we come and just hear from you. This is your holy word, O God, and I pray that we would come before it as such through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and in the power of your Spirit. Amen. Okay, so our story today, ladies, continues to unfold, and we now find ourselves in this moment of tension. If you remember last time, two weeks ago, for the first time in his earthly life and ministry, Jesus was exalted as the King and the promised Messiah that we know him to be. All came, they honored him and exalted him with shouts of triumph and his great triumphal entry. Jesus went on to teach about the fall and destruction of the temple and the return of our king. And then he warned his disciples to stay awake and watch in order that they would be found standing before the Son of Man on the day when he returns. We closed with something in verse 37 that I think it's important we don't miss. It ends every day he was teaching in the temple and people came to hear. Jesus is calm and steady and is persevering. In his death and walk to the cross, he leaves this remarkable example of a gentle and enduring faith. This is long-suffering. Not that he's not affected by it, nor that he isn't grieved. But he, the suffering servant, long foretold, has come humbly submitting to the Father's will despite everything. Even despite betrayal, denial, and on the road to the cross, and ultimately through death, as we will see now. Okay, so I hope you can follow along. I've put some stuff up here on the board, and there are two pictures over here, just to give a reference afterwards to the table. But we're going to start looking at verses 1 to 6, the betrayal. So, Thursday, one of the greatest feasts is about to take place, and the chief priests, who have prided themselves this whole time on upholding the law perfectly, and who at this point would have found or would have had some responsibilities to fulfill, are found here seeking how to put Jesus, the Son of God, to death, because they fear the people. The decision to get rid of him is not in question. Now it is a matter of the means, how or who will take the fall on their behalf. Sin has this great tendency to blame shift, and this is evident here. These leaders do not want to lose their authority or reputation before the people, so they're trying desperately to find a way to take care of business and keep their hands clean. And we see in verse 5 that they are glad. The NIV translates, they were delighted when they are met by Judas. Judas would give them an allegation against Jesus that comes from within the inner circle. And since it would be an unlikely event in the eyes of the people for him to be fraternizing with the chief priests, they're only then acting, of course, in the best interest of the people. 
We know at this point that Judas has a heart that loves money. And in John's account, he tells us that Judas was actually stealing from the money bags. So it should not surprise us that at this point he fails to prove out, as it were. But him being dead in his sins and following the prince of the power of the air, he goes and confers with the chief priest and the betrayal is set in motion. Note that here he is seeking to betray him in the absence of a crowd. Sin so often will begin in the secret places and in small ways, but it is quick to spread like a virus and left unchecked, it is out of our power to control. Satan has power where sinful passions hold sway. We must stay awake. As John Owen put it, we must be killing our sin or it will be killing us. So moving on, we have this scheming taking place in the backdrop and the friction in our story continues as the day of unleavened bread is here and Jesus, dedicated to the will of God, is preparing for the Passover. He instructs his disciples to go into the city where they will find a man carrying water who will lead them to a private room fully furnished in order to prepare the Passover meal. The Passover meal itself was to be eaten within the walls of Jerusalem, and we know this because it's recorded for us in Deuteronomy 16. We also know that the preparations involved having the lamb sacrificed at the temple, roasting it, preparing the room for the meal, preparing all of the side dishes, among other things. But note what stands out here. There is a man carrying the water, which would typically be carried by a woman at this time. This would make for a pretty clear where's Waldo amidst the crowd of people who are coming into the city also securing their Passover preparations. So this is either prearranged by Jesus or a divine miracle. Either way, what is evident is God's provision. See in verse 7, the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Ladies, the Lord provides. Just as he provided the sacrifice to Abraham in place of Isaac, and again provided the sacrifice of the firstborns in the place of the Israelites in Egypt, establishing the Passover that we have here. Again now, the lamb that has to be sacrificed is provided. All these things were looking forward to this moment that had been determined by God the Father many years before, <laughs> where the Lord God provides the Paschal lamb to be sacrificed in our place. Every single detail of this Thursday displays the wonderful sovereignty of God over all the details, and we see Jesus, the suffering servant, humbly submitting to his will. God is in control. Nothing about this is random. This is happening during the Passover time. That's not random. The Lord knows that this would bring about retelling of the Exodus and that the people would be recounting all of his mighty works. It is a beautiful and marvelous will of the Father that we see Jesus humbly submitting to. And while the chief priests and the crowd that followed them might believe that they at this time were orchestrating things and in control, we cannot, hear, we cannot help but hear the echoes of Genesis 50, that what you have intended for evil, God will use for good. And is that not the most ultimate expression of that as we walk towards the cross? There is a reason why up until this moment Jesus has continued to say it's not his time because there was a time already established. So being aware of all that's going on and what's to happen, uh, he establishes for us another example of trust and obedience to the Father. The lamb had to be sacrificed. 
Jesus is not found here complaining, but simply sends his disciples into the city to prepare. In every trial and circumstance, we can trust God, knowing and hoping fully in his promises. He is with us. He will never leave or forsake us. Do we believe this to be true? When we're struggling to feel his presence in our circumstances, are we quick to Google a solution? Or do we patiently wait upon the Lord, hoping fully that God will deliver us, because he has delivered us and will continue to deliver us again until that day comes? So, 14 to 21. The hour begins. This next session starts, When the hour came, he reclined at table. I don't know if you can see it, but the picture up there kind of displays what these tables would look like at this time. And it was common in formal dining that a couch would be set up around the outer three walls of a room and that the host would take the center spot at a U-shaped table. They'd basically be lounging on their stomachs eating, something I do not think I could do. (laughs) And on either side of the host would be the most honored guest. It's important that we catch this. So here we are, the hour of the power of darkness, and still exuberating peace and faithful trust, the suffering servant, our Lord Jesus, is laying on his stomach enjoying a meal. I don't know about you, but when there's something that you have to face that you don't want to, uh, laying to eat food completely relaxed is not my go-to. Even right now, I'm shaking. (laughs) So Jesus is doing just that. He's still before the Lord. He's resting in God's provisions. He knows that this is good. The Passover meal is going to be his last meal, and one he says he earnestly desires to eat with his disciples. But note the second part. In verse 15, he says he desires to eat this before he suffers. This is not the first time, ladies, that Jesus has told his disciples about his suffering, but have they really been listening? Do they really grasp all that has been spoken? Do we? Jesus continues that he will not eat this again until, the fulfill, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So the Passover meal, this is, I hope everyone can track with me because I'm going to try and do my best here. The Passover meal represented the establishing of Israel as a nation after God had delivered them from Egypt. It allowed for this perpetual reflection of what God had done and promised. It was a means of grace and an opportunity for them to share and encourage with one another and to enjoy fellowship. Jesus, as the Paschal Lamb, was going to be sacrificed for the sins of the people and in so doing would make this last supper that would be eaten in anticipation of the coming Messiah, sorry, the last one. So, before this Thursday, the meal was done in remembrance of what God had done delivering, um, the, uh, delivering his people out of Egypt, and with hope in its fulfillment, God sending the promised Messiah to come and save and rule as their king. Now, after Thursday, when we partake of the Lord's table, we remember and look back on what God has done delivering us from sin at the cross, while also looking forward to the second coming of Christ and the fulfillment of the kingdom when he brings forth the new heaven and the new earth, and we all get to celebrate again with him at the great banquet. This is another one of those uh, wonderful themes in scripture, the already and not yet. So the Passover is already fulfilled in Jesus as our Paschal lamb, 
and the propitiation for our sins, having died once for all who confess him as Lord, turning away the wrath of God through the offering of a perfect gift and sacrifice himself. So Jesus both offered himself freely as this lamb to atone for our sins, reconciling us to God, while also turning away the wrath by absorbing it upon himself. But the Passover is also not yet totally fulfilled until the day of Jesus' second coming. Okay, we know this because of Revelation 5, uh, where we see the Lamb atone, who is worthy to take the scroll and break its seals. So picking up in verse 10 and 24, we see, or sorry, 10, we see the 24 elders who are singing a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed a people for God, for every tribe, from every tribe and language and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. So you see, the Passover is not yet fulfilled, nor can it totally be fulfilled, until these people are reached, the people of every tribe and language and nation. Then the kingdom will be ushered forth. So side note, just how awesome it is that the Lord gives us continual new songs to sing in all of these things. Today might be dark and we might come weary, but the Lord will put a new song in our hearts. Okay, so Jesus knows that the next time he's enjoying this feast will be then at the banquet in the new heaven and the new earth. So continuing with our text, we move on to the cup and the bread. Okay, so the cup was most likely the third or fourth of the cups that were usually given during Passover, known as the cup of blessing or redemption. The cup was representative of the blood that was poured out for us. And in this way, it foreshadows the shedding of his blood on the cross and the absorbing of God's wrath, which opened up the new way of redemption for all of God's people through the new covenant promised in Jeremiah 31. This is where God had promised that he was going to write on our hearts his law, that he would be our God and we would be his people, and that there would be complete and total forgiveness for sins. Ladies, we can dedicate an entire lesson to just this, but I have a very short amount of time. So let me just uh, give you what I think we should draw out from this. So the flaw with the Old Testament covenant, because that's what we're getting into here is the new covenant, is that the people failed to keep the stipulations that God had made. The new covenant remedies this by the law being written on our hearts and giving us this new desire. Um, which allows us to have fellowship with God, which was the purpose of covenant. It also brings forth complete forgiveness of our sins. Uh, okay, so continuing on, the bread. The bread is given for them. Jesus says, this is given for you. It is his body that is broken through death at the cross for us. When we partake of the Lord's table and eat of the bread, we're remembering this, that his body was broken for you and for me. And it's something that we do where we come into deep communion with God while also looking forward to his return. So do we do this? Do we take time leading up to communion and stop to reflect on all that God has accomplished? I'm very thankful that here at Maple we usually announce it a week ahead of time so that we can come and prepare our hearts. But do we consider Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him went to the cross on our behalf? Some Sundays we might come in and we are just clouded with the stuff going on in our lives. None of us are perfect, and there may be busier seasons than others, but do we find time outside of this then to consider it? This is one of the sacraments that was given to us 
as a reminder of all that God has done and as a promise of God fulfilling this at Christ's return. And it is so important that we come honoring it as such. Okay, so quickly moving on to dinner conversations. So all of this, Jesus has just said, he's made this new covenant, here's the cup, here's the bread. And then he goes on to talk about how Judas is sitting at the table and he's going to betray him. Uh, we know in Luke's account, Judas is still here. And it goes on, the disciples start bickering about who it's going to be, who did it. Um, and moving from that, then who is greater? So I don't know about you, but it's kind of like it reminds me of my children sometimes who like to fight over the better chair in a house. And no matter how many times you might switch them back and forth from that chair, it's just never going to be good. This is kind of what's happening here. So remember the seating of honor. It was, it was kind of already in uh, the structure that Jesus is surrounded by his most honored guest. These people are his disciples are sitting with him in the most honored places. They have that seat, and yet they're fighting over sitting somewhere that would be greater and, and, and just trying to elevate. So here we have this beautiful image where Jesus is able to teach us about true greatness. So Jesus tells them again that he's going to suffer. He's given himself for, or sorry, he's given for them this promise of the kingdom. And in one respect, their desire to self-examine is wise. Um, but they need to stop and pause and just consider where, who, what true example of greatness is. So, the kingdom is going to be opposite what the kingdom of this world will look like. Just like membership in the kingdom, in this kingdom requires nothing on our part but the work of Christ, and we are adopted into it and made citizens. So, the idea of greatness does not involve power or authority or the place of status or the seat closest to the host. True greatness involves lowering ourselves while exalting those around us, counting others more significant, looking to their interests as our own. We show true greatness and identify ourselves as citizens of this kingdom. When looking forward to the kingdom, we love and serve one another with the same self-denying, God-glorifying love that we see in Christ. In verse 28, Jesus goes on to say that they have stayed with him. They've stood by him in trial. And we have the idea of this total allegiance and honor. Here they are battling over the, who is greater and who, where they'll get to sit. And Jesus is saying to them, I've affirmed a kingdom for you. You will have a seat at my table in my kingdom. Uh, and so don't worry. And then as an aside, Jesus turns to Peter and calling him by his old name, Simon. He lets him know that Satan demands to have him. So the use of his former name kind of forebodes this denial, much like we kind of see back in Old Testament scripture when Jacob was referred to Israel. The you here is plural, Satan demands to have the disciples. It's referring to all his disciples then and onward. And we know that the devil still prowls around like a lion. So there is a reason why all through scripture we're reminded to stay awake and be on guard. Jesus then tells Peter that he has prayed for his faith. The use here is singular. Jesus prayed specifically for Peter. And then in 32b goes on to tell him that when he's turned again, he is to strengthen his brothers. Here again, we see that nothing is outside of the knowledge or control of God. Jesus knew that Peter would deny him in this hour of darkness. And he prays for his faith not to fail in entirety, that when he returns to God, 
which is an idea of true repentance, he would be able to come and strengthen his brothers in Christ knowing what is at stake. There is a huge difference between falling away or having a season of coldness in our walk of faith. And what we see in Judas where he is just callous toward the Lord, we do not see that Jesus prayed for Judas. We know that he loved him deeply, but the book is kind of closed there. So we must also be examining our hearts uh, a period of coldness is one thing, but if it doesn't result in an outright denial, we can trust that Jesus is praying for us too, ladies. Skipping here. Okay. Uh, the next session in 35 to 38, uh, there's a lot of discussion and interpretation about the debate of the swords, and I'm not going to get into that today. Uh, but what I will draw out for you is the scripture fulfillment which talks about him being numbered with the transgressors. So that's linking us back to the suffering servant promised in Isaiah 42 through 53. So then Jesus goes out to the Mount of Olives to pray. The hour is drawing near, and another complete example of humility as he's lifting up as an act of worship to God, his petition. Jesus tells them to pray that they don't fall into temptation, and then he goes, and for the only time really that we see him in anguish and pain, he goes and prays to his father. He's not naive to what lies ahead. It has been long since foretold, and he knows that the will of God is to, for him to be crushed for our iniquities. He knows that he will be utterly broken by the full weight of all sin taken upon himself. Just look around for a minute and consider the sins that we individually bear and daily wage war against. Jesus knew that he was going to take on every single one of them, then future, past, and he humbly goes and walks faithfully and obediently every step of the way. Here at the end of this journey, when he's likely worn and weary and tied, tired, and we can see broken to the point where his sweat is as blood, this being real anguish, how easy would it be for him to call down the legion to free him? And yet, and yet, he looks to his father, and he thinks of the people of God. He thought of you, he thought of me, and he endures. Okay, sorry. So imagine literally sweating blood and being broken from sorrow, and then you return to find all of your friends sleeping. I'd probably lose it. But Jesus, again, calmly just reminds them that they need to pray, that they not give in to temptation. Ladies, we must keep going. It is the desire for this ease and comfort that can be so much more hazardous to us than some of the wolves or trials we will face along the way. Do not rest so long that you fall asleep and miss the race altogether. Okay, now, the power of darkness. Here in verse 47, there came a great crowd. The irony in this, if we look back to the beginning, Judas was planning to what? Hand Jesus over in the absence of a crowd. So here we kind of see sin in its full circle. It began in a secret place in the quietness of his heart and Satan coming in. And now we have an entire crowd of people following him. <sighs> Judas being the scapegoat. But Jesus says, day by day you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour in the power of darkness. Why? Because even in this horrific moment in our history, it was not out of God's control. This was the precise moment that Jesus was to be betrayed and darkness seemingly to have been taken over. 
Could you imagine being there? <sighs> Here they stood with the Son of God, Jesus our King, and watched as the power of darkness seeming to be winning in that day. Did they all stand firm? Jesus told them at supper that you stood by me in trials, and in this instant, and a moment of unbelief, they lose sight of Christ, and they stop looking to the kingdom, and Jesus is left by every single one of them. We see that Peter, who is following at a distance, is putting on this brave face to show Jesus, hey, I'm here with you up until the end, right up until he's confronted by a girl. This has meaning because ladies, women were viewed as lowly here. They wouldn't have much sway, and here comes a servant girl, and in a heartbeat he tells her, woman, I do not know him. And over the next hour, Peter denies him twice more, and then that rooster crows. Can you imagine what Peter would have felt, much like he got punched in the stomach, when looking up, he would hear the words that Jesus had spoken earlier on, and across the fire looking straight at him with eyes all seeing, that would have had him fully exposed is Jesus. He is looking straight at Peter with what I imagine would be sorrow, but also loving compassion. Remember that he prayed for him. He knows that Peter will return and then be a mighty vessel for his kingdom. But here in this moment, he sees him deny him, and then he sees not. Jesus is blindfolded and beaten and mocked for him, for you, and for me. And yet he is still calm. We do not read that Jesus is fighting back against them or screaming at his friend, how could you? But he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, he opens not his mouth. The suffering servant foretold, calmly and humbly goes as was determined, according to the will of God, straight to the cross. He knew all that was before him, the full weight of the wrath of God, the power of darkness and sin, and it is common grace that we don't ever have to fully experience it. That chasm that goes between God and the power of sin that separates us, he knew he was going to endure, and the perfecter and founder of our faith for the joy that was set before him, the kingdom that has yet to come, he went and endures the cross. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It was the will of God to crush him. But it was also through him that the Lord's will would prosper. We are not there yet in our story where we see the cross, but we know that Jesus lives. And for those of us in Christ, he sees our hearts and knows us and has called us by name. We are his and he is ours, and he holds out his hand to bear our burdens. He's given us his spirit that we may have help to renounce our idols like money and to have the strength and courage and the hearts to run with all endurance to the Father. And for those who have not yet given their lives to Christ or maybe are just hearing, he sees you too, and with those same eyes of compassion and love, he bids you come, come to the waters. Our chapter ends with Jesus before the council, and they say to him, if you are the Christ, tell us. Jesus knows the hardness of their hearts and reminds them that they won't believe, even if he does tell them. 
And we can see this is true since he, doesn't, he does answer them. He goes on to say that from now on the Son of Man shall be seated at the right, of hand, right hand of God. To which they say, you are the Son of God then. You say that I am? Yep, it's done. The last we hear from them in this chapter. But their hearts have, got, their hearts have grown dull and they don't hear the truth. The question of who he is has been asked all throughout Luke. Who is this who can forgive sins? Who is this who has authority over creation? Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say I am? To which Peter reminds, you are the Christ. And here before the council, they mock him and say, if you are the Christ, then tell us. Who is this? This is the suffering servant that we have been promised. Our Savior and our Messiah who has come to deliver us. Praise be to God. I'm just going to pray. Father God, I pray, O oh Lord, that we would all have ears that hear truly and hearts that are set ablaze for your kingdom. I pray that we would maintain an eternal perspective in all the things that we do, striving together for the spreading and proclamation of your word. And if there be anything that has captivated our hearts more than Jesus Christ, I pray, God, that you would give us the strength that we could repent. Lord, that we would lay it all down. We thank you that you intercede on our behalf. We praise you, God, that you have prayed for our faith to abound and that you will promise to continue to fulfill this good work that you have begun in us. May we strive for the holiness without which none can see the Lord and may we be found standing before you on that day to worship and sing praises to you forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.